for today. If you want to take your Bibles and go to Psalm 33, we'll get there in a little bit. Psalm 33 is going to be the opening text. Today's going to be a special service. We'll re- we will resume our study through the book of Acts, as I mentioned, next Sunday. But, you know, in two days, our nation will be celebrating its independence, so that we kind of consider today our July 4th weekend. And I just felt led to bring a patriotic message. Uh, it's, it's different, but it's similar to what we did last year. Just kind of this sense in me that, you know, we're raising a generation where they no longer really understand. They're not told. Uh, so, therefore, they don't really appreciate the kind of freedoms that we have and the godly heritage of our country. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about American history and weave, of course, Scripture in there and talk about the greater freedom that we have in Christ. But before I begin today's teaching, I wanted to open with a special song by a good friend because I I thought, you know, if we're going to do the whole patriotic thing, we've got to have Mary Milburn back here at Cornerstone Chapel. And so she's here today. If you don't know anything about Mary, she's an award-winning soloist who has performed multiple stadium events, different political rallies, different international conferences. She travels around the world singing, using her voice, the instrument that God has given her. She has performed for the past and present four U.S. presidents. She was a White House presidential appointee to George W. Bush. She served as the student body president at the University of Oklahoma. And most importantly, she loves Jesus. She is a preacher's daughter. So I love that about her too. I'm, kind of, I'm a little partial to preacher's kids. And, uh, and she loves America and she's a good friend and she considers Cornerstone her home. So would you give a warm welcome to Mary Milben. I said, Pastor Gary is partial to preacher's kid because we're like wretched kids, so we like need Jesus for real. But uh, this is the truth, so I'm a sinner saved by grace. Hallelujah. It's amen. Amen, amen. It's so good to be here. And Pastor Gary is right. I consider Quarterstone my family. It is so wonderful to be here with you this morning in celebration as we get ready for July 4th. Let me honor, as I have done all services, Pastor Gary and Miss Terry is here. Let's hear it for Pastor Gary and Miss Terry. Come on, let's hear it for your leaders. Yep. I know Pastor Gary and Miss Terry don't like when I do that, but I am a preacher's kid, and how we grew up, you honor your shepherd. You honor those that, that are leading you in the faith. And I tell you, Pastor Gary is preaching the truth from this pulpit. I travel all over this country, yes, and all over the world. And there are a lot of pastors who are very fearful to say a lot of things at Pastor Gary's. The transing of America, I mean, I have shared that all over this world. The former president, the current president's about to get it in here this week. Everybody's about to get that message. Because I'm telling you, what Pastor Gary is preaching right now, it is the truth. And God is calling all of us to be carriers of the truth. Glory carriers. Glory carriers. And so I praise God for what Pastor Gary is doing. I praise God for this church and how you are leading. You're a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth to the world. No better way to celebrate July 4th and certainly this morning than to sing about the great country that we love.
all of us. All right, if you love that, you're going to love the closing song she sings at the end of all this. What a voice. Thank you, Mary. Psalm 33 is where we're going to be, and then she's going to come back up and close our service. 
Psalm 33. I'm going to read verses 12 to 22. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in You. Let's pray together. Father, our hope is in You. We don't put our hope in man or in political structures. We put our hope in You, Lord. And we pray for your mercy upon our land. We know, Lord, over the years there have been things that we've done that no doubt have praised you and glorified you, but also many things we've done that have sinned against you, that have grieved you. And we pray for your mercy. We pray for the president, for Congress. We pray for our elected leaders, that you would move them to accomplish your perfect will. The Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and you direct it as a water course wherever you will. And so, Lord, do your good work through our elected leaders, and we're thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. We don't want to take our liberties for granted. So thank you, Lord, as we celebrate you and the privilege of living in the United States of America today. We glorify you now in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. 247 years ago, our founders envisioned a nation that would be governed not by a king or an emperor or a dictator, not even by a president, but a nation that would be governed by self-governing citizens. And yet the founders understood, because most of them had a firm Reliance and relationship with the Lord, that in order for a free people to be self governing, they must be governed and guided individually by God. President Abraham Lincoln concluded his Gettysburg Address with with this idea. Lincoln said this He said, That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth, end quote. You see, Lincoln, like the founders, understood that a government of, by, and for the people would only succeed if the people were governed under God. That's why he included that phrase, under God, in these final remarks of his Gettysburg Address. What many may not know is that that phrase, of, by, and for the people, was not unique. Uh, Lincoln did not come up with it himself. He actually lifted it from another speech. 
a speech that was given a few years, few years earlier by uh, a man by the name of Theodore Parker. Uh, Parker was a reformer and an abolitionist. And on July the 4th, 1858, Parker gave a speech in Boston's Music Hall in which he said, quote, democracy is direct self-government over all the people, by all the people, and for all the people. And Lincoln, having uh, heard the speech passed down to him, adapted that for his Gettysburg Address. So Lincoln borrowed it from Parker, but Parker borrowed it from somebody else. It wasn't unique to Parker either. Parker lifted it from the words of John Wycliffe, who wrote in 1384 a prologue to his translation of the Bible. And Wycliffe wrote this, that the Bible is for the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. 1384 is when he said this. Because the understanding was that the Bible and the guiding principles of God and the values of the Bible need to be what governs the heart of human beings. And if people can be governed and guided by God then you can have a self-governing people that is sustainable. Ronald Reagan expressed this very clearly when he said this in 1984, quote, Without God there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God there is a coarsening of the society. And without God democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. How true. You see, in other words, if man is left to himself without the moral compass of God and the Bible to guide us, then this whole experiment of a self-governing nation will unravel and freedom will evaporate. This is why in 1787, at the conclusion of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, after Benjamin Franklin left the hall there in Philadelphia, a woman on the street stopped him and asked, well, Dr. Franklin, what did we come up with? Do we have a monarchy or a republic? To which Franklin replied, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Because it's fragile. To be a self-governing people, we have to be individually governed and guided by God. Now, the advancement of freedom and democracy in America has not always been a straight path. There have been some pitfalls along the way. There have been some setbacks that needed to be corrected in order for us to maintain our God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The sin of slavery took years to purge. But Christians actually were the ones who led the charge to abolish slavery in the Western Hemisphere. When you look at history, the Puritans, the Quakers, evangelists like Charles Finney and John Wesley. You had even uh, William Wilberforce in in Great Britain who was a part of the Western Hemisphere uh, abolition of uh, slavery, including Frederick Douglass. These were people who understood Christian values have to guide the conscience to help us to do the right thing, and therefore we have to correct course when things aren't perfectly aligned. Economic historian, scientist, and author Dr. Robert Fogel, who died in 2013, was considered the foremost scholar on American slavery. 
And he wrote a couple of books, one entitled Time on the Cross and another one entitled Without Consent or Contract. And he was a self-professed secular Jew, Dr. Fogel, self-professed secular Jew. So he wasn't trying to, you know, trying to twist anything about history, but he gave a clear and concise understanding of what turned the course. And in fact, he received a Nobel Prize in economic sciences for his work in which he concluded Christians ended slavery. It was the Christian worldview that has initiated because of our founding fathers, that has corrected when necessary, and that continues to advance freedom in America. So that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, not government, with certain unalienable rights, and among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, you see in the Bible references to freedom. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. In Galatians 5.1, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so all through the Bible, you hear about the idea of freedom. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free, Jesus said. Well, Of course, in the context of the Bible, it's talking about a greater freedom. It's talking about the freedom from sin and condemnation and and death so that through a relationship with Jesus, we can be free and go to heaven when we die. That's ultimate freedom. The kind of freedom that we also celebrate, and coming up here on July 4th, we're talking about the kind of physical, national freedom that we also enjoy. And the two go hand in hand. You can't have physical national freedom unless you understand spiritual freedom unless you understand being governed by god then you can be a self-governing people where you are ultimately free so they really go hand in hand because if you have freedom without faith then you have political anarchy freedom without faith faith sets the boundaries and the guardrails if you have freedom without faith you have political anarchy people will just do whatever they want if you have faith without freedom you have religious tyranny If you just have faith, but you don't understand the importance of the respecting of the human race, then you just have faith that steamrolls over humanity and you have religious tyranny. And we've seen that in our history too, shamefully. And so they go together. Faith and freedom go hand in hand. The United States of America is a nation, of course, that values the freedom of religion. It codified it in the First Amendment, the freedom of worship. And the freedom of worship does not mean which is, this is what the world wants you to think it means, that you're free to come to church and just in the confines of the four walls of the church, you know, go ahead and worship your God and just stay in the four walls of your church. That's kind of the world's concept of the First Amendment, freedom of of worship. But the reality is it means that you can go outside, and I hope you do go outside the four walls of your church, and you take your faith with you wherever you go and you integrate it into every aspect of life so that it permeates the culture and it affects policies and it affects politicians and affects our nation, it affects all kinds of things, your community, your home, because we take our faith and we live it out outside the four walls of the church. That's really freedom of worship. Don't believe the lie of the narrative of the world that says just keep it confined within your church and then when you leave church just pretend like you don't know Jesus. You know, that's what they want you to, to believe, but far from the truth. And yet because America is a melting pot, there's a beautiful tapestry in America And because America is a melting pot, we must fight for religious freedom 
even to defend faiths that we don't necessarily agree with, the tenets of those religious doctrines, because if we don't fight for religious freedom for all, we will lose it for ourselves. So we have to be careful. Even for religions that we don't, we don't believe what they teach, we don't hold to the same tenets. If they lose their freedom, so do we. Having said that, historically, when it comes to some of the founding principles of our nation, it is undeniable that Christianity had the greatest influence. When you look at the different founding fathers of the United States, many of them were men, not all of them, who held deep religious convictions based on the Bible and faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result, that shaped their views, their worldview, which ultimately then shaped our nation. Out of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, a majority of them, 29, had seminary or Bible school degrees. And to show just how much their own personal faith shaped their views that ultimately shaped and influenced America. Here are just a few quotes from some of our founding fathers, like John Adams, the second U.S. president. He said, quote, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God, end quote. Or consider Thomas Jefferson, the the third U.S. president. Now, Jefferson was a deist, and so his view of Jesus was a little different, but he still had a view of a supreme divine God who ruled the universe. And Jefferson said this, quote, he said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God, that they are not to be violated But with his wrath, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. End quote. Or consider John Hancock, the first signer of the Declaration of Independence. He said, quote, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us, end quote. And one other quote from Dr. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence and a ratifier of the U.S. Constitution. He said, quote, I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration. In other words, he said, it's not on par with the Bible, But I am satisfied that it is as much the work of a divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament, end quote. He's like, the the American experiment is a miracle of God. The way that God has formed this nation and the principles behind it are a testimony to God's amazing grace. The 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence so firmly relied on God that they were willing to sign their names with a signatory line that said this, with a firm reliance on divine providence, meaning, of course, God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Like they even understood our lives are on the line. We're signing this document to separate our dependence upon Great Britain, and we might die for this, but we're moved of God to do such a thing, and we're going to rely on him. 
Before Virginia had a state constitution, Virginia adopted the first Declaration of Rights uh, just before our independence. Virginia adopted the Declaration of Rights on June the 12th, 1776, the first of its kind. It eventually made its way into the uh, state constitution as Article 1, Section 16, and this is what it says today in our own state constitution, quote, that religion or the duty which we owe to our creator and the manner of discharging it can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence, and therefore all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience. And that it is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity toward each other. Now, what they're saying is, is we're not going to force religion on anyone, and you can have no faith at all. But whether you believe in Christianity or not, you, you need to at least, this is in our state constitution, you need to at least collectively perform the mutual duty based on Christian values of Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards each other. Now, when the Declaration was first drafted, George Mason had watered it down a little bit. And he said, how about we just use the phrase tolerance of religion? And James Madison came along and he said, no, Georgie Porgy, listen, that's too weak. We got we to gotta strengthen this. We got to make it stronger than that. And so James Madison came up with the language that I just read because... Even though the state is not going to dictate anybody's faith or how you should practice it, our state constitution calls for the mutual duty of all citizens to practice these Christian virtues and values. In other words, Christianity in the Commonwealth of Virginia should set the example for civic duty. And so, this nation, being founded on Judeo-Christian values and principles... I just want to clarify and make sure everybody understands by saying that does not mean that we are a theocracy. You know, when I talk about these kind of things from the pulpit, some people accuse us of, you know, Christian nationalism and, you know, you're just wanting America to be a theocracy. I have no illusions. We're not a theocracy. We will be one day when Jesus returns and sets up his throne in Jerusalem and rules and reigns for a thousand years. This whole planet will be a theocracy. And I welcome that day when it comes. We're not a theocracy, not yet. When Jesus returns, establishes his kingdom, and after a thousand years is a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus is and for always will be king. Until that time, we're not a theocracy. And yet, what does God call us to do? He calls us as the church of Jesus Christ, his church, his bride. He calls us to be a restraining force against evil in our world. You think it's evil now? Consider it when the church is removed and the onslaught of evil. It will rush in like a flood. Right now, the church and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church with the power of the Holy Spirit is the restraining force against evil in the world. This is what Paul would write about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. He says, do you, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he, meaning Antichrist, will be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, who now restrains, 
will do so until he, capital H, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. In other words, what Paul is telling us here in the text, there's a what and there is a he, capital H, that are together restraining the advance of evil in the culture and in the world. And the what is a reference to the church. To the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the representation of Jesus on planet earth, when we do what we're called to do, we are to be a restraining force against the, the tide, the rising tide of evil. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's the He, the capital H in, in the text, so that evil is held at bay. But there's going to come a day, Paul writes there, when what is removed? The church is going to be taken, the rapture of the church, just before Christ comes to the earth, he will rapture the church, and the Holy Spirit, he, will go with the church, and there will be the absence of the church and the presence of the Holy Spirit on the earth. And when that happens, the full force of evil will rise, including the Antichrist who will come to power, who will try to be a world, will become, the Bible says, a world dictator, and the world will experience evil like never before. So in the meantime, church, You see, we are called to be a part of that restraining element that God uses on the earth to keep evil at bay, to do our part in being a restraining force against evil. Listen, there are two competing missions, and I've I've mentioned this before. There are two competing missions right now on planet earth. There's the mission of the world, and there's the mission of the church. The mission of the world, their motto is, be conformed. The mission of the church, our motto should be, be transformed. So the mission of the world goes like this, be conformed. You just conform to our values, our ideas, our principles, um, our vaccine, whatever it is, we're going to tell you, you just need to be conformed. Don't ask any questions. We're smarter than you. Just shut up and do what we tell you to do. That's the whole idea. The whole mindset of the world is just be conformed to our mold, our image. We'll tell you what you need to know. We'll tell you what you should do, how you should behave, how you should think. Did you know that in Massachusetts, uh, sorry, not Massachusetts, in Michigan, just this week, like on Friday or Thursday of this, of this past week, the Michigan State House passed a law compelling speech. And the law that was passed, now it hasn't been uh, confirmed by the Senate, but Governor Whitmer said she's going to sign it into law if it passes the Senate too. The House in Michigan passed a law making it a felony if you misuse pronouns. Okay? The punishment, five years in prison, up to five years in prison, up to $10,000. A felony. Okay? It's a complete violation of the First Amendment. It's compelled speech. But let me tell you, this is what they're saying to us. You're going to be compelled. You're going to be, you're, you're, the mandate is you've got to conform or there's going to be a penalty. Okay? That's the world's motto. Now, here's our motto. We want people to know that you can be transformed through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. To know him 
to love him, to surrender your life to him, and then to experience a completely transformed life. And when that happens, your values change, your perspective changes, your, your uh, priorities change, everything changes one heart at a time, and that's how we can influence culture when we help people understand the transforming power of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's transformation. And despite the opposition and perhaps even sometimes the persecution that we might experience from an unbelieving world, we must not abandon the mission. Jesus said in Luke 19, 13, occupy till I come. You need to still be engaged, church. Please, I say this all the time. Don't sit it out. Don't sit on the sidelines. Stay engaged. Lift up your voice. It doesn't have to be abrasive. It doesn't have to be in an unkind way, but... Continue to advance the truth of Jesus, the values that you know are true in the Bible, and live your life in such a way that it's exemplary and it reflects Christ well and influences and permeates our culture with the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus. But, but listen, this is why we're called to be salt and light, because salt and light penetrate, impact, affect the darkness and the things that are spoiling. This is what salt does. It it, uh, it sanitizes, salt um, preserves, light shines in the darkness. This is why Jesus told us to be these things. In fact, Ronald Reagan, he would often talk about how America is that shining city on a hill. He's lifting biblical language. And it, it was a veiled uh, charge to Christians. Because Jesus is the one who said it. It's Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works or your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when Reagan talked about America, the shining city on a hill, he's lifting biblical language because, listen, the the real light that is going to shine through America is the light that Christians shine of Jesus. It's when we understand and are grateful for our heritage, the godly heritage, where we want to do all we can to impact our world for the glory of God, where we spread the ultimate story of freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. May the life ministry and death of Jesus Christ not be in vain. But may we continue to tell people about the ultimate freedom that is found through faith in Jesus Christ. And in a similar way, but albeit a lesser way, the physical freedoms that we enjoy in America. A lot of people died for that freedom too. They wore the United States uniform to secure our liberties. May we never forget, may we never take for granted And may their deaths not be in vain. Because God has blessed us. And we live in a wonderful country, the freest and greatest country in the world. And we have much to be thankful for. Amen? Much to be thankful for. So, as promised, Mary is going to come out and conclude our service with a final song. But you're going to have to stand to your feet for this one, folks. So please stand as we welcome again Mary Milben. Welcome her. God bless you, Pastor Gary. God bless you, Miss Terry. 
If you see me on TV or out there, you know I'll be saying cornerstone, cornerstone, cornerstone. Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary. I love you all. It's been a joy to be here with you all this morning. And I tell you, America is the greatest country in the world. It's a nation, one nation under God. Don't forget that. Go out and be the light as Pastor Gary. Be the light for Jesus. Don't be afraid. Be a light for Jesus. Let's end the service singing about the great country we love. Can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. O'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets ring clear, the bombs bursting.
Man, she can sing. Come on, let's thank her one more time. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. All right, friends, hopefully you'll be able to spend some time with friends and family this Tuesday. And always remember, freedom is never free. We thank God for his freedom through Jesus Christ. We thank God for the many men and women who laid down their lives so we can enjoy freedom in the United States of America. God bless you all. Have a great day. And may God bless America. Amen.